Texas is one of a dozen states that still have restrictive laws on marijuana, but the conversation around cannabis is changing. As public opinion on the issue shifts, politicians are taking notice and talking about their plans for the plant while on the campaign trail. So what's the future of cannabis in Texas? This is Listen in Lubbock. For Texas Tech Public Media, this is Listen in Lubbock. I'm your host, Sarah Self-Walbrick. Each week on the show, I try to go deeper on topics that affect our community. And what we're talking about today is a complicated one that I've wanted to cover for a while, pot politics. It's become a popular topic on Texas campaign trails this year, with politicians on both sides of the party line showing support for less restrictive marijuana laws. Jacob Vaughn has followed cannabis stories for the Dallas Observer for several years. He joins us today to clear the smoke around the topic. I promise I tried to keep my puns to a minimum throughout this episode. Thanks for talking with us, Jacob. Of course. Thanks for having me. Before we hop into Texas, I want to start by talking through some recent national news about this. Earlier this month, President Joe Biden announced an executive order to pardon federal simple marijuana possession charges for thousands of Americans. Can you explain this for us? President Biden's executive order will see at least 6,500 people pardoned for simple marijuana possession convictions under federal law. Simple possession just means you had a small amount of an illegal substance for personal use. While Biden said in his rollout of this order that people shouldn't be sitting in jail for simple marijuana possession, it isn't expected to free anyone up from incarceration. That's because while it will help thousands, there's no one in federal prison solely for simple marijuana possession, according to the Biden administration. The order is also kind of narrow, not covering things like intent to distribute, or convictions that involved more than one illegal substance. It also doesn't apply to, and I'll use the Biden administration's words here, quote, individuals who were non-citizens not lawfully present in the United States at the time of their offense. The Biden administration has faced some criticism for a few of these details, but has said the recent executive order is supposed to just be the start of the work on this issue. Yeah, to that point, advocates have said this is an important first step to fixing uneven drug enforcement policy. That's because these laws have historically and disproportionately affected people of color. Jacob, tell us more about that. So the ACLU put out a report in 2020 titled A Tale of Two Countries, Racially Targeted Arrests in the Era of Marijuana Reform, which looked into marijuana arrests across the country to identify racial disparities at the national, state, and county levels from 2010 to 2018. It found that out of over 6 million marijuana arrests, black people were more likely to be arrested than white people in every state, even those that have legalized. On average, black people are over three times as likely to get arrested for marijuana possession, even though white people use the drug at similar rates. Of course, With these arrests come criminal records that can prohibit a person's job opportunities, where they live, and other aspects of their life. This news on the national level comes at a time that the public's opinion on marijuana seems to be shifting. A Gallup poll last year found that 68% of Americans support legalizing marijuana. 
Gallup has found increasing support of this over five decades, and this is a record high level. Jacob, tell us what that looks like along party lines. Well, while most Democrats, 83%, and political independents at 71% support legalization, Republicans are nearly evenly split on the question, with 50% in favor and 49% opposed. While Republicans are split on the issue, other reports have found that younger people in the party are generally more open to legalization for both medical and recreational use. So there are, of course, people who do not support legalizing marijuana. What are some of their reasons that you've found? There are a few reasons people oppose legalization. A 2018 Gallup poll surveying more than a thousand people over the phone looked into whether or not they supported legalization and the reason for their position. A majority said they supported legalization because of marijuana's therapeutic effects and because they felt it would free up law enforcement resources. However, out of the 36% who opposed legalization, many said they worried it would lead to more instances of impaired driving. About 79% of the opposition said this factor was, quote, very important in their position. About 69% also said they believed marijuana was a gateway drug, with others saying they were against legalization because they believed marijuana consumption was immoral. It's interesting. This is definitely one of those issues that there are a lot of factors and I think life experiences that go into people's opinion on marijuana legalization and decriminalization. So what do you think could happen next at the federal level? So the big thing, especially in regards to Biden's executive order, is reclassification. So along with his executive order, it also directs Secretary of Health and Human Services Javier Becerra to look into how marijuana is classified at the federal level. The effects of reclassification could be felt around the world, especially by those in the cannabis industry. Plenty of states have legalized the drug either recreationally, medically, or both. But its status under federal law has kept most major banks from offering their services to the cannabis industry. This prevents companies from being able to list shares with NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. Reclassification could allow them to do that. This could also let foreign companies sell their products in the U.S. and open the door for states to reevaluate their own marijuana policies. It's time for a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about Texas's marijuana laws with our guest, Jacob Vaughn of the Dallas Observer. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to Listen in Lubbock. I'm Sarah Self-Walbrick. We're talking about pot politics. It's been a hot topic on campaign trails across the country this election season, including in Texas, which is one of a dozen states that still have strict cannabis laws. Before the break, Jacob Vaughn of the Dallas Observer told us about how this issue is playing out on the federal level of government. So let's move on to what this conversation is like in Texas right now. Jacob, can you first explain Texas's marijuana laws to us? Of course. So cannabis reform has moved at a snail's pace in Texas. First of all, recreational use is illegal. Use and possession has been illegal since 1931. Getting caught with up to two ounces 
could get you a Class B misdemeanor punishable by up to 180 days in jail and a $2,000 fine. Between 2 and 4 ounces is a Class A misdemeanor that could get you a year in county jail and up to a $4,000 fine. Anything above 4 ounces is a felony. We do have something called the Texas Compassionate Use Program that was established in 2015. And while it's opened up to more people in recent years, it's still heavily restrictive. Originally, the program was limited to patients with a form of severe epilepsy. In recent years, it's been expanded to include people diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, ALS, autism, multiple sclerosis, spasticity, terminal cancer, and PTSD. However, there's no actual cannabis flower available to patients. It's generally limited to products like tinctures and gummies, and they can't exceed 1% Delta-9 THC on a dry weight basis. Originally, it was limited to 0.5% Delta-9 THC, and that's the chief psychoactive component found in marijuana. I think it's really interesting to compare our laws to some of the states that are surrounding us, because really at this point, marijuana laws are kind of a patchwork across the country. Every state is taking a different route with this. So tell us about what's the legal status in the states that surround us here in Texas. Right. So in Colorado, people 21 and older can buy up to an ounce of retail marijuana at a time from a licensed store. People who are of age can possess as much as two ounces and legally consume it in designated places, like their private property. In New Mexico, adults 21 and older can possess up to two ounces of marijuana. And Colorado and New Mexico both also have medical marijuana programs. Now, while Oklahoma doesn't allow recreational use, the state does have a pretty robust medical program. There are more dispensaries in Oklahoma than in any other state. That fact alone says a lot to me. And in those dispensaries, you can buy actual high THC cannabis flower. With a medical marijuana card in Oklahoma, you can possess just over 84 grams, six mature plants, six seedling plants, just over 28 grams of concentrate, and about 2,037 grams of edibles. Additionally, at your home, you can have about 226 grams of weed in your possession. Even cooler, in my opinion, is the fact that Oklahoma has opened its program up to people out of state. So, you can take your medical marijuana card from a state as restrictive as Texas and reap the benefits of a program as progressive as Oklahoma's. That is super interesting. And I think it's important to note both Oklahoma and its medical marijuana program in New Mexico have just recently added these laws to the books. So this is very much a, an evolving situation and topic, I think, in the country. So in 2019, Texas lawmakers legalized some forms of the cannabis plant. What exactly did that do? In 2019, Governor Abbott signed House Bill 1325, which legalized the cultivation, possession, and sale of industrial hemp that contains less than 0.3% Delta-9 THC. And again, that's the chief psychoactive cannabinoid found in the cannabis plant. It's what gets users high. And to be clear, hemp in this context is just a legal term that means cannabis with 0.3% Delta-9 or less. The 2019 bill also legalized certain consumable hemp products you may see on smoke shop shelves today. 
So that goes into my next question. There are some products derived from cannabis plants that are legal in Texas. In Lubbock, we have a lot of shops now that sell CBD and Delta 8 products. What exactly are those? So CBD is one of many components called cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant. It isn't psychoactive like Delta 9 THC, so it won't get you high, but still offers a lot of the same therapeutic effects as regular weed. In the last few years, the market has seen an explosion of products containing something called Delta 8 THC. Federal and many state laws surrounding hemp put limits on how much Delta 9 THC can be in a product. But these laws, at least when they were first passed, didn't say anything specifically about other cannabinoids, like Delta-8, which is often described as Delta-9's less potent cousin. So, hemp companies across the country have started manufacturing products with high levels of Delta-8 that can get users high, the thinking being that as long as they don't exceed 0.3% Delta-9 THC, they're in the clear as far as the law is concerned. Delta-8 was one of the first of these psychoactive cannabinoids to rise in popularity after hemp was federally legalized in 2018. But plenty of others have hit the scene since then, such as Delta-10 THC, THCP, THCO, HHC, and others. However, the non-regulated nature of this market and the way these products are produced has garnered some attention from health authorities, with the FDA and CDC putting out warnings about the products. Several lawmakers are actively trying to see these products banned. Some, in other states, have succeeded. I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that regulation of these products is a big part of the overall conversation that we're seeing in Texas right now specifically. So state laws are one thing, but some Texas cities are changing how they charge people for possession. Jacob, tell us about how Dallas is handling this now. Well, it's funny, just in time for 420 last year, the Dallas Police Department made a change to its general orders to deprioritize low-level marijuana charges. So, under these orders, if you get caught with two ounces of weed or less, the Dallas Police Department won't charge you, as long as there's no evidence of intent to distribute, you don't have a firearm, and there aren't other associated charges for a crime against another person. The thinking behind this move, really, is that the Dallas police would be better off spending their time addressing violent crime opposed to low-level marijuana possession. This conversation is happening in Denton, too. Citizens there will vote in this midterm election on decriminalizing possessions of small amounts of marijuana. Tell us about that. So Denton could see a change that goes even further than what we're seeing in Dallas. Through the efforts of a group called Decriminalize Denton, Residents in the city will get the chance in November to vote on an ordinance that would keep Denton cops from citing or arresting for misdemeanor marijuana possession. The only exceptions would be for broader, high-priority narcotics cases and when a felony is involved. Officers would also only be allowed to order THC tests if a violent felony is involved. Class C misdemeanor citations for possession of drug residue or drug paraphernalia would also be barred under this ordinance. Again. The thinking being that, one, people shouldn't be arrested for marijuana possession, and two, police resources could be better used elsewhere. 
It's interesting to me when I was reading your story about this, that Denton citizens got this on the ballot through a petition process, which is something that we have in Lubbock as well, and that we've seen that process being used in the past few years. So I thought that was a really interesting detail of this story for our local listeners. It's time for another break. We'll be right back with more on cannabis in Texas with our guest, Jacob Vaughn of the Dallas Observer. Stick with us. This is Listen in Lubbock, and I'm your host, Sarah Self Walbrick. We're talking about pot politics and how they're playing into the midterm elections in Texas. So far, Jacob Vaughn of the Dallas Observer has told us about some recent movement on this issue at the federal level. He's also explained what exactly is and isn't legal at this point in Texas. So let's look at the future. Several statewide candidates have shared their plans for cannabis should they be elected. Jacob, let's start with the governor's race. What has incumbent Greg Abbott, who's been in his current position since 2015, said on the topic? Well, the governor opposes legalization, and it doesn't seem like he'll be changing his stance anytime soon. You get a sense of that in Abbott's response to the recent pardons by the Biden administration. In previous years, he said he opposes legalization, but supports reducing criminal penalties for marijuana possession. In May this year, he said much of the same, that he supported reducing minor marijuana possession to a Class C misdemeanor to free up the jails. More recently, after Biden rolled out his executive order and encouraged other governors across the country to do similar pardons, Abbott seemed to write off the move in a statement from his spokesperson to the Dallas Morning News. The statement said, quote, Texas is not in the habit of taking criminal justice advice from the leader of the defund police party and someone who has overseen a criminal justice system run amok with cashless bail and a revolving door for violent criminals. The governor of Texas can only pardon individuals who have been through the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles system with a recommendation for pardon, end quote. Okay, and what about his challenger, Beto O'Rourke? What are his plans if he wins? Beto O'Rourke has said repeatedly that if he's elected governor, Texas will legalize marijuana and expunge the records of people arrested for possession. I will add that at some of the Beto O'Rourke events that I've covered in the past year as he's been on the campaign trail, he brings this up pretty often at his events. And that's definitely one of those topics that gets a big cheer from those in attendance. Marijuana has become a focus in the race for agriculture commissioner. That office is responsible for the licensing of entities that currently grow, handle, sample, or process hemp. Republican Sid Miller is the incumbent for that office, and he made some waves this summer when he called for the expansion of access to medical cannabis. Tell us more about that. In July, Sid Miller put out a really progressive editorial in which he described the roots of cannabis prohibition as coming from, quote, a history of racism, classism, and a large central government with an authoritarian desire to control others. In that editorial, Miller also said he's seen firsthand the benefits of cannabis as a medicine and wants to make it more accessible to more people. While it was a little surprising for me to see this coming out of Sid Miller, 
advocates have told me they've seen some promise in him when it comes to his positions on cannabis reform. Susan Hayes is the Democratic candidate for Agriculture Commissioner. What's her take? Well, while Miller said in his editorial that he wasn't sure if Texas was ready for recreational adult use, it's not much of a question for Hayes. She has said that she supports legalization, in part because she believes if the state doesn't legalize, it's allowing a black market for marijuana to continue to take hold in Texas. As we said earlier in the show, a majority of Americans support legalizing marijuana. Data suggests that's true in Texas, too. Jacob, as someone who's covered this topic for a few years, what do you think is influencing that shift in public opinion? Well, I think people's opinions are changing because there's just so much more information out there about this. And we've seen now what happens when you legalize. It's not just theoretical anymore to say legalization won't lead to the total collapse of civilized society. Looking at other states and how they've handled legalization, I feel like it gets more people thinking, why don't we do that here? And I think that's what we're seeing. That makes a lot of sense. So, Jacob, what do you think is the future for cannabis in the Lone Star State? I think if certain people stay in office after the elections in November, namely Governor Greg Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, and Attorney General Ken Paxton, it will be much of the same. A constant uphill battle toward any meaningful reform and nonstop fighting to hang on to what little cannabis rights we already have. What little hope we'll have at that point will ultimately boil down to what can get done at the local level through efforts like those in Denton. But we'll just have to see what happens. Indeed. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank my guest, Jacob Vaughn of the Dallas Observer. I'll link to some of his work on this topic and other helpful articles that I read while I was researching this episode in the web version of today's show. Find that in other local programming at ttupublicmedia.org. Thanks for listening in today. Thank you.